And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM on one of our wonderful partner stations all the way across the country, even in the U.S. or possibly on the podcast. Although I, uh, I, f- I feel sorry a little bit for our podcast uh, or sorry for some of our syndicates today because the uh, the show is actually uh, played over the course of the next week. And, uh, and unfortunately, some of our listeners may not be getting this in the time in which it is intended. And for that, I sincerely apologize. But hey, if there's something important going on that involves the election uh, and you're on one of our uh, one of our listeners from one of our syndicate stations that uh, that plays it a few days after the fact, that's a good reason for going and listening to the podcast. You'll get it right away. Uh, we're doing our election special here today on the show. We're all our second or third election special, but today would be all election, all hour. But uh, it's not just going to be me ranting and raving. I have a selection of people we'll be talking to today. Uh, first up in just a moment will be Amara Poisson, which is from Lead Now. Lead Now has been, uh, we've mentioned it a few times on the show. Stefan and I both mentioned it a few times. Uh, I was organizing uh, something akin to strategic voting, although that word has been turned into a little bit of a dirty word, and it also means a few different things. So we're going to actually let Amara define that in just a moment. Uh, I'll also be speaking, uh, hopefully Rob's not here yet, but a uh, good friend of the show and frequently teased on the show, even when he's not here, Rob Shirky from Our Horizon will be joining us with a little bit of an update. Uh, about the Our Horizon uh, initiative, as well as uh, joining us for some commentary. And I'm actually sitting in the studio right now with Sylvie Letourneau, who's going to be joining us uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, but I am now just going to make sure, good, I'm getting a thumbs up from our <laughs> from the tech booth, uh, that Amaro's on the line. Uh, welcome and good morning and uh, welcome to the Green Majority. Morning. So uh, you've only got a few minutes of your time, so I'm going to try and talk as little as possible, Amara. I did a very brief <laughs> intro as to what Lead Now is working on, but you guys are, are right in the home stretch here of a really big campaign. So I'm just going to hand you the floor right now to uh, let people know what's going on. Uh, thanks. Okay. So we're running a campaign in the election called Vote Together. Uh, it's basically a way for us to connect um, the growing movement of people across the country. There's over 90 or almost 90,000 people who've signed up so far. Um, with the tool that they need to defeat the conservatives. Uh, at the core of the campaign is a website called votetogether.ca, and it's a place where people can get information about the riding that they live in, including the latest about which local candidate has the best shot of defeating the conservatives. And we've, we've been using the site also to pay for local polling in key riding, so people have uh, the best possible local information there's over 3,000 people from across the country who've raised $100,000 to fund polls in 37 places. Um, so it's, it's an unprecedented amount of information on a website. Um, and we've been helping people join teams to and, and to make uh, phone calls from home into conservative swing ridings. We actually have three teams working in Toronto. There's one in Eglinton Lawrence, home of the finance minister, and one in Willowdale and one in Etobicoke Lakeshore. And in all three ridings, uh, through a community vote, they've decided to back liberal candidates and uh, in this final stretch are using every tactic in the book to get out the vote for those candidates so that they can defeat conservatives. So let's talk about why for a moment. Uh, I'm uh, Lead Now is not profiting uh, off this. This is not a, a business opportunity for you. And, and I'm sure you and the other folks that uh, at Lead Now there didn't, uh, you know, uh, back in grade six decide, you know, when I grow up, I want to defeat the conservatives in an election. So why? what about all this unprecedented, uh, unprecedented organization information, all of this? Why is defeating the conservatives so important, at least for the folks over there at Lead Now? So Lead Now works on the issues that our community cares about. We have half a million supporters across the country, and they've told us through the actions that they take through our campaigns and through different community engagement events in person and also online that they care about an open democracy, a fair economy, and a clean environment. And we've spent the last four years basically limiting damage uh, 
and, and running campaigns to slow down terrible things that the Conservatives have been trying to do. So uh, like we do with every big decision, um, a couple of years ago, we went to our community and we said, okay, there's a big election coming up. Do you want us to do something? And 96% of people said yes. And then we said, what do you want us to do? And when we presented a, uh, a few strategic options, um, we heard from the vast majority of people that because our democracy is broken and we have an electoral system where um, the conservatives can get all of the power with 39% of the vote, uh, they, our community said that they wanted us to back candidates who could defeat conservatives in, in swing ridings where vote splitting could lead to a conservative victory. So the mandate for the campaign came from our community, but ultimately, um, I think the reason people are rallying behind it is, is that we want a more progressive country, and the very first step is making sure that there isn't a conservative majority government. So there's two sort of parts to to the. I mean, you've you've said broken democracy a, a few times. I'd I'd like you to, yeah. to expand a little bit on what you mean by that. But also, um, the the follow to that would be, you know, what role both. Uh, what's your sense of Canadians uh, in general, and then also directly from your supporters about how big an issue fixing how we elect governments in this country is relative to other issues. I think for our supporters, it's a very big issue. It's something that keeps coming up in the surveys that we do and in the conversations that we have. Um, what I mean by a broken democracy is that under our first-past-the-post system, um, the candidate, there are 338 elections happening on October 19th, and in every single riding, the candidate who gets the most votes wins. And in some places, that means that conservatives will get 30-something percent of the vote. And even though uh, the vast majority of people in the riding voted for another party, whose policies are more similar to each other than the Conservatives, they'll still end up with a Conservative MP. And if that happens in enough ridings across the country, we could end up with a Conservative majority government. And with the way that Parliament works, um, votes are whipped, so we basically have four big voting blocks. Um, and if the Conservatives have a majority, they can just pass whatever they want, and, and there's no check on their power. Uh, so our, we aren't happy that we have to run this campaign, but... Basically, we're trying to make the best of a broken system so that we can create uh, political conditions where we never have to do this again. Um, mm. All three of the opposition parties have said that by 2019, they're committed to introducing a new electoral system. Uh, so it feels like there's a, a window for the first time where after the election, basically in any outcome other than a conservative majority, um, the this like face of of people that we've built, uh, we'll be able to keep pushing to um, get them to, to change the electoral system. All right, Amara, I know uh, we've got you during, as I said uh, during the intro, we've got you during the highest possible of the busy seasons here. So I wanted to ask you <laughs> one final question, and we'll let you get back yeah. to work, uh, which is the um, the idea of... One of the comments that was sort of made, uh, it was made somewhat in jest, but is absolutely verifiable and true as well, was that, you know, in a funny way, the Harper government has actually almost been good for the environment. People go, what are you talking about? Well, it has been terrible for the environment, but what it's done is it's created a, essentially functionally a common enemy. And what we've seen while we've been having uh, increasingly horrifyingly bad policy or the stripping away of good policy Mm -hmm. um, that we've, in my opinion, and I'd like to get your sense of it as well, uh, and maybe to comment on it, uh, an unprecedented surge in 
uh, palatability in the vo voter and average citizen for actually getting involved in doing something about stuff. Uh, I've noticed that both anecdotally and I've had other uh, uh, environment organizations tell me the same. Generally, there seems to be more interest not just in what issue is important to Canadians, but actually people, average people being willing to get their hands dirty and take some small part, even if it's just a donation, you know, somebody that's never donated before. Uh, is, that a, is that a trend you would concur with? And, and either way, would you comment on it? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think we've definitely seen that Harper has been a great organizing opportunity. Um, the majority of the country doesn't agree with what he's doing. Uh, and it's meant that we've been able to build a pretty big tent uh, that has just enough in common to organize around this election. I think it's going to create some really interesting questions for us about what happens after the election. Um, we're, we're even seeing uh, people who've come in just through our election campaign. Uh, see Lead Now is a, an anti-conservative organization that's just trying to defeat the conservatives. Um, our base that we've we've been building over the uh, over the past few years doesn't see us that way. They see us as an organization that where where people are united by values and issues. So uh, I think that no matter what happens uh, on election day, like things are things will be shaken up, and and we'll have to figure out how to keep organizing in a sustained way. Because often what happens is when there's a big common enemy, people will throw everything they've got at. at uh, a specific moment, and then um, everything kind of fizzles afterwards. And part of part of what we've been doing in our target ridings with our organizing model is trying to build a more sustained uh, base of, of organizers. And we'll see how it works out. Um, but yeah, I think I think it will be interesting um, to to see what happens to the like to the organizing landscape um, as as progressives after the election. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, uh, Amara from Lead Now. We'll let you get back to your important work, but I just a, a recommendation to all of our, our listeners to go. It uh, doesn't mean you have to, to follow uh, the uh, the instructions or the guidance that's been provided by Lead Now, but I think uh, anyone would be remiss to not take two seconds to at least look at what you guys have put together and uh, and consider it when making their decision uh, on Election Day. Do you want to just uh, one more time just remind people where they can go to get information? Sure, yeah. You can check out votetogether.ca and put in your postal code and you'll find everything that is going on in your writing. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. And so we're going to be uh, uh, go, moving on now a little bit. We're going to go to our first music break here in just a little bit of a minute. Uh, you are listening to The Green Majority here live at CIUT 89.5 FM or on our, one of our syndicates or through the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in during this important election coverage show. I mentioned earlier, but she has not spoken yet, uh, that Sylvie Letourneau is sitting in the studio right now um, uh, working for a uh, local uh, NGO and also is a friend of the co-host, which helps get you on the radio here. So if you want to get on the radio be friends with Stefan and also know a few things so thank you Sylvie for taking some time to join us uh, I want to ask you um, just a little bit about what we were just talking about with Amara so that idea of the taste in people's mouths it seems to be not even always for the good reasons that I would approve of, but there seems to be an unprecedented level of sort of interest in actually taking part in the election cycle. We've seen, I think some uh, the number I saw was a 71% increase in the advanced polling turnout. Um, what do you take from that? Does that make you hopeful? Does it make you tentatively hopeful? Um, yeah. I mean, we, you and I had talked a little bit uh, just before the show about being what we called, uh, I think you called it apathetically... Naive. Apathetically optimistic. Yeah. That's the one, yeah. And I'm calling <laughs> it cautiously pessimistic mm. uh, because I am worried. But I think that um, there's a, a new generation of people voting, as there is you know, every election we could say that, but there's a new generation with different values. Uh, I think 
there is the impetus for change. Um, but I mean, we are a little bit caught in our little bubble, right? Like everyone I know, when I talk to them about politics, it's not much of an argument. Uh, we're sort of preaching to each other the same thing. So I worry about that. I worry about perhaps Western Canada. I worry about rural Ontario, lots of different places. Anytime I see any conservative ads, I'm always a little worried. So cautiously pessimistic. I think it's wonderful that uh, people are turning out in such droves. And I think uh, you're right. The conservative government has maybe been good for voter apathy and for the environment. We'll see, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the other uh, things that has uh, come up a little bit as well was um, just the it's – al- it's always a little bit of an interesting show to see – you know, who gets involved. We've had, uh, you know, there was the issue with Tony Turner recently. And uh, it seems like uh, all sorts of groups that are generally trying to stay out of politics are, are getting involved because in some cases we see them as the, um, you know, as their lifeline a little bit. And it's it's a very similar problem. So I want to sort of make a, a comparison between that and the media as well, which is the, we'll just talk a little bit about sort of the media reaction here before we go to our first break. Um, but it's very similar. I mean, we've spoken about ad nauseum on this show, I would say, about the war on science in this country. And one of the, we did a, we've done several interviews um, about uh, various NGOs and not-for-profits and all sorts of people who either have spoken out and have been punished or are afraid of speaking out because of these um, intimidation techniques like being audited through the CRA um, and I, what I, what I, and part of the problem there is, and part of the problem too is like you know you get punished if you speak out, but if you if you don't, <clears throat> it can be very frustrating because a lot of these things are things that organizations are affected by and they can't speak out on their own defense. Um, but one of the similar problems we have with the media, and uh, that's sort of what will we'll make the pre-first music break topic about, was actually the media point of view on that, which was, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a story I was covering. Uh, it was covered in Common Dreams here. Uh, which is uh, uh, one of the one of my many news sources each week, uh, but it covered how universally, universally, uh, pretty as far as the article was concerned, and I also in my own independent search could not find any difference. Um, uh, uh, as far as I can tell, this is true that universally, <clears throat> major American magazines after the first Democratic primary debate yesterday for the U.S. for the Democratic in the U.S. debate. Um, declared hillary clinton the winner uh including putting it you know as the uh there were some quotes here that were pulled out in the article hillary clinton won because all of her opponents are terrible um and some other stuff (laughs) uh wide-ranging forbes red state slate so all over the political spectrum theoretically supposedly uh declaring her the the winner of the debate however when polled uh here's some comparison now and i will we'll stop talking about the americans in a second but i want to make a very important comparison here so slate magazine uh pulled their respondents 71 percent said sanders win 16 said clinton time magazine 56 percent said sanders won 11 percent said clinton drudge report 54 percent said sanders won nine percent said clinton won so when we're and it, and it goes worse it goes down the list and some of the numbers are even higher the street uh, i actually don't know that publication but 80 percent of of their respondents um said that Sanders won compared to 15%. And what <clears throat> what really concerns me is, and, and we were, as you said, Sylvie, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, uh, was that you know people skim the news and are, seem to be very affected by what the impression of what other voters are doing. So if people say, you know, like we've seen over the last few days, big liberal surge, people will go, oh, okay, so if I want to defeat Harper, I better vote liberal. And first of all, that's nonsense. But second of all, we really, really don't know what the reality is in a lot of these cases, and it really concerns me. So, when it when it comes to that, do you, how big a risk do you think? Do you think most voters make up their own 
uh, minds. Do you think the that the poll numbers like this can be yeah, uh, I, very effective? I think polls are extremely influential. I think if you think about it uh, on a personal basis, let's just take, you know, Sally Smith is a, a working mom with three kids, doesn't have a lot of time to keep informed. It actually takes a lot of time. You and I were talking about the headlines and how we didn't have time to go through the vice, you know, political ads you, sh- you want to see. There's so much news out there and it can be hard to filter through it. So she's thinking, I don't have time for this. She's looking at the news, the headlines, and she's saying, you know, Hillary's winning in a landslide, you know, in the polls, in opinion. And she's thinking, all right, sounds good. She's got my vote, right? Like that's hugely influential. So, and I think um, a large, maybe not the majority, I'm not sure about the numbers, but I think a large group of voters are voting that way. Mm. And when it transfers to the Canadian election, of course, that gets more complicated because we don't, you know, we're not doing a primary for who our unified, quote unquote, and that's in huge scare quotes, left leader is to go and do battle with the right wing leader. Mm -hmm. Um, We have essentially a three way split between a barely left of center party and two left wing parties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's even more, more convoluted, more confusing. And there are a lot of uh, vague promises on on some of the party platforms. So I think it gets even more convoluted and muddy in Canadian context. So we're going to go to our, our first break now. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. I've also just seen our friend uh, Rob sneak into the studio here. So we'll be getting Rob in the studio in just a moment. So stay tuned for more election coverage. We have a, a bunch new more news items uh, and uh, uh, a whole bunch of exciting and terrifying stories. Uh, you're also going to hear me uh, go through my ranking of the environmental uh, platforms of all four major parties after the music break. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT and one of our uh, one of our syndicates across the country. We'll be right back after this music break. Methane dispensers 
And we are back live here at CIUT 89.5 FM. You're listening to The Green Majority. I am your host, Darren Kaster. I'm sitting uh, live in the studio. Uh, our friend Rob Shirky from Our Horizon has just joined us. Uh, welcome to The Green Majority, Rob. Thanks again for having me on the air. Or time. I should say, welcome back. Yes. <laughs> welcome back. Uh, Rob, who's the, probably the most uh, often referenced person who's not on the show in CIUT history. Because uh, even when Tim Nash is in here, we talk about you. Uh, <laughs> I get I get uh, twenty five cents every time my name is mentioned on air from Tim. This is our arrangement. That must be yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, our horizon, uh, just really quickly, is an initiative um, that is seeking uh, the the short version. Rob, correct me if my abbreviated uh, description is wrong uh, here, but it uh, essentially is seeking to have local and provincial municipalities, hopefully provincial, starting with local, uh, pass uh, laws or legislation that would allow or encourage or require cigarette pack style warning labels connecting people from the action of filling up their car to the effects of using oil. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did I miss anything? Mm -hmm. No, that's essentially it. And uh, there's lots of interesting theory behind it. But one of the things that I tend to say is, as long as we understand the problem as being out there, say, so it's a problem of, of uh, tar sands, of pipelines, of these big, bad corporations and so on, the problem is then over there. I'm distanced from it, right? And if you have that sort of situation downstream uh, where end users of any product really are, are shifting all the blame upstream, then we all get off kind of scotch-free and we're, there's less impetus then to, to demand alternatives. Uh, so this, while we do need a variety of approaches at the end of the day, and there is a lot of truth um, that, yeah, especially even now, we've learned recently that Exxon uh, has been deliberately uh, you know, denying a lot of the evidence uh, on climate change. Um, so certainly there is some truth uh, to that upstream narrative. But it's critical to engage end users, create a little bit of dissatisfaction with the status quo solution that stimulates broader demand for alternatives, opens up more space uh, for government and business to respond. So that's it in a nutshell. And we've made some progress, which is exciting. Awesome. And I'll, I'll let you sort of at your leisure slip mm-hmm. in uh, a recent update about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, I just want to basically for this whole section of the show, I just want to uh, open it up. So Sylvia also feel uh, feel, fr- uh, feel free to jump in whenever. Um, but essentially what I wanted to sort of talk about was the role to which or to which it has not. Uh, environment in general and specifically climate change has played a role in this uh, election. I think part of the, you know, part of the th- reason why I'm a fan of what our, our horizon is doing was because it has been no more clear than during the last two weeks how incredible incredibly uh, like a two-month-old puppy, essentially the Canadian voter appears to be. They are the most easily distracted, ooh, shiny, yeah. it's, it's, it's frustrating and, and, it's, and it's kind of sad um, because not, it's, it, and, it, and it was intentional, obviously, as a tactic mm-hmm. to distract uh, the conversation here. And I think part of, the, uh, part of what you're trying to do addresses what the real problem here, which mm-hmm. is that people essentially functionally i think accept this is true but it's in some background part of their brain where it doesn't seem immediate and because it's not connected look how easily people can be distracted uh from this issue so i have a lot more to say about that but i just kind of want to throw i'll throw that meat into the center of the Uh ring and uh uh, and you guys uh, feel free to jump in well you know and that's essentially it darren Uh, i mean the very nature of climate change it's it's such a tricky beast to address right uh it's it's amorphous right i can't touch it i can't see it Um, You you said it's not immediate. You said we're not connected to it. And so just the traits of it make it one that's easy to ignore or to get sidelined by some cynical political ploy to divert our attention elsewhere. (coughs) Stephen Harper. (coughs) Um, No, (laughs) I think that could have been a little less overt. Um, But yeah, so uh, so what I'm trying to do essentially is 
uh, make this thing more real, make it more tangible, make it more immediate. And I think what that can do is it can then create more social impetus to address it. And the example I'll give you, uh, especially now that we've got an election coming up very shortly, uh, there was a candidate uh, here in, in a riding in Toronto, uh, I believe it was Linda McQuaig. I don't know the name of her riding. She's the NDP candidate. Toronto Centre. Toronto Centre. Okay. So she said something to the effect, uh, which every single sign, like this is now the, the consensus. We now understand that we must leave the vast majority of fossil fuels under the ground. We just can't bring them to market. We can't develop them. Uh, and this is commonly accepted now in this sector but so she said something to that effect we're going to have to leave a lot of the tar sands underground undeveloped and she was then you know the party brass sort of said no 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 we can't say that and so on and i I suppose retractions were issued or whatnot it was the equivalent of a political singularity which is a politician said a true thing and everything just went haywire it's amazing (laughs) and then i even saw a headline uh where tom alcare said i think we can uh we can reduce emissions Mm -hmm. and at the same time expand uh, the growth of the tar sands and how can you hold those two at the same time you just can't and so what i'm thinking is right now in terms of political discourse what's possible it doesn't align with scientific fact it doesn't align with the urgency of the situation and so my my little intervention what it's trying to achieve is uh by making it more real more tangible more pressing uh, maybe it can shift the goalposts on on what's politically possible, what discourse we can actually have, uh, because if we're all feeling more connected to this problem, well, then perhaps we're a little more thirsty for solutions that create space uh, for fortunately more Linda McQuaig's to step forward and, and actually acknowledge it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, and... So one of the things we're looking at here, of course, is that um, there's a CBC poll came out this morning, breaking news. Um or sorry, it was yesterday, but I just noticed it today. So still breaking news, uh, which was Vote Compass, which is the uh, CBC hosted uh, polling system, has shown that 80 percent of respondents and this is as of yesterday, 80 percent of respondents believe that the government should do more to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And what this is telling me is one of two things. And we'll go for Sylvie first for a vote on which of these two possibilities is true, uh, because, of course, there's only two possibilities. Um <laughs> One of them is that voters are hearing the words climate change in, by various leaders and not actually having the time, as Sylvia, as you already said, uh, to actually understand the, the details of people's climate policy and not not either not being aware of the fact that all these politicians, all these leaders um, are double speaking constantly about what they want to do. Or um, that this, when you ask people about climate change only, they say, yes, I'm concerned. But when you ask them combined with other things, they forget about it very quickly. Uh, which of those only two possible possibilities is it? Uh, oh, I'd like to sit right in the middle of that and say <laughs> both. Um, but I mean, the interesting caveat to that 80% of people feeling that it's important is that a whole bunch of people, I don't remember the exact number, but it was like at least 50%, I believe, didn't think carbon taxes were a reasonable answer to that problem, whereas econ- like economists have come out saying that it's the only reasonable sort of policy that we can enact. But this is a it's a good example of how the average person doesn't understand policy. I don't understand policy. Policy is very complicated, right? So it goes further than just wanting some under, understanding that it's a problem and wanting someone to solve it, but we don't agree with how to solve it. So when when Harper is saying you know people don't want a carbon tax, he's not wrong. That's his people that he is governing, and they don't want it. So it's up to every one of us to sort of try and and, and get it out there, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. Like, put it out there. Well, it's about framing, too. I mean, 
on its own, if you if you ask someone about only a carbon tax, do you want a tax? No, I don't. Want, <laughs> basically, what you're saying is yeah. you have two options: don't give me money or give me money. Yeah. Who's going to take the, the 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 give option, the give money option? But it's do you want to enact this policy to avoid spending far more money later? Uh, if the question was asked that way, you would yeah, exactly. get, you'd even get two thirds, if those were the options and, and you'd get 98% of mm-hmm. even the conservative voters saying, well, of course I want to pay less money. Uh, but what, what is shocking me, and, and I want to throw this back to you guys now, um, is that absolutely nobody except Elizabeth May has the courage to say that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even really take Elizabeth May much courage to say that because that's what her base believes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, she's hoping on peeling voters from, uh, from other parties of people who do have the time to make that nuanced distinction. Um, but most don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happens when, I mean, we have to remember that voting is the number one democratic process, but there, it's not the only one. And this is the problem when, say, interest groups become political parties a little bit, I think, because I think you can get a lot more done as an interest group than a political party, because then you have to start shopping for votes. And that's when everybody becomes center. Yeah. Rob? Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. And you see this, uh, this disconnect in a variety of, of areas where you know, a, a large majority of people are polled saying, well, we need to do something about this problem. And then when it gets into the specific details of how do we actually address it, uh, that's when you start to see, you know, smaller numbers. Uh, and the example I often think of is here we are in Toronto, and we all know our, our public transit system is embarrassing. I'm willing to bet if you polled the majority of, of citizens here, we'd all say, yes, we need better public transit. The conversation always tends to break down around funding tools. It's like, I want it, but I don't want to pay for it, right? Um, And so maybe that's a parallel that we see uh, in climate change where, aha, I've been learning about this thing called climate change. Uh, I understand that it's it's serious. Uh, We need to do something about this problem. Um, But then that something, that's where the conversation uh, breaks down. So, I mean, uh, and again, I hate to bring, I, I feel like every time I come on here, I'm, I'm selling my, my product, <laughs> <laughs> even though it's not a product, I'm not making any money off this. Uh, Here's uh, a good litmus test. And it covers, I think both of us here in this case, uh, which is that if someone is really, really hesitant and shy about asking you for money, they probably deserve your money. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my money. We have a donation button. Hey, everyone. No. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the thinking is if you can, if you can bump up those numbers on the the carbon tax or on the whatever the solution is to that problem, uh, if you could stimulate broader demand for that, part of that is just disrupting the status quo, creating discomfort with it. Uh, so that's the hope behind what I'm doing because uh, – and maybe, maybe one encouraging thing to take away from this. I'm willing to bet a few years ago the consensus in terms of popular opinion on – is this a problem? Should we do something about climate change? Would have been lower. So maybe uh, we could take comfort in the fact that, yeah, at least more and more people are on board with this is a problem. We should do something about it. It could be that those other numbers where the specifics of what do we do about it might grow over time. Um, hopefully we'll see something like that. Uh, but but yeah, going back to sort of my, my beginning point, uh, we need to make this problem more real, more immediate, more tangible. Uh, and I think that's when you'll see those figures bump up. Yeah, and I think one of the um, one of the final things we'll do in this uh, the, in this little bit of the section, of course, is the various parties' position on oil and gas, um, and it's 
fairly easy to understand. We don't even really need to get into the uh, into the details here. We can do it quite in a, in a big brushstroke very quickly. Conservatives are pro-everything. <laughs> uh, liberals are pro-everything minus one, mm-hmm. uh, which in my opinion, a little punditry here, is uh, being used as the bait and switch to say, look, we can say that we're against something that the conservatives are for, that the environmentalists are for, uh-huh. are, are also against. And so, Sylvia, as you were saying earlier, all those voters who have zero time to actually look into people, the details of people's platform um, – a whole bunch of people think that voting for liberals means that they're doing something about climate change. And it just isn't. Mm-hmm. It, it just isn't. And I'm not being partisan here. It is simply, an, it is simply an, a, a fact. Uh, the Liberal Party does not in any meaningful way address climate change. They've picked a couple of projects that they're scapegoating for mm-hmm. votes. And no part of the Liberal platform has any meaningful way to deal with climate change. And I just want to, if there's one message from today, somebody tweet this out. <laughs> I've been tweeting it myself all week. A vote for the liberals is not a vote for action on climate. It simply is not, unless they change their campaign. And I have no problem with the liberals. I, I personally, both, not only is the show not partisan, I am personally not partisan. I have never voted for the same party twice in a row, ever. Hmm. Um, but so many Canadians are not like that. But just mm-hmm. please, please, if you want to vote for liberals, vote for liberals, fine. But do not vote for the liberals because you think that you're going to do something about climate. That is not what they are offering. Um, but to the other two... The NDP seems to be kind of trying to have it both ways, and I think that's really what's shot them in the foot uh, a lot. And then, of course, the the only platform, and the, the, basically the thing here, and this is the final thing I'll say, and then I'll we'll, I'll be quiet for the last uh, little section here and let somebody mm-hmm. else get a word in, which was there's one really big important thing that I want people to understand about all the all the different party platforms. There's one major distinction between the Green Party and the Conservatives, the Liberals, and the NDP. The Conservatives, the Liberals, and the NDP have designed their platforms to varying degrees based on public opinion polls of how issues poll. They've targeted that up to a section of the population that they're trying to carve out for themselves, and they are talking about policies that they think appeal to those areas, which is why various leaders like uh, Mulcair, uh, uh, well, basically all three of those parties, keep changing their minds about stuff, was because they're trying to isolate, oh, well, where is public opinion today? And that's why, poli- well, that's why their platforms are dancing around, because public opinion appears to be dancing around. The only party who is actually based on science, here's a problem we have identified with science, and now we've used science to find a solution, is the Green Party. Does that mean I'm telling you to vote for the Greens? No. Make up your own mind. But that is a fact. It is the only part, uh, at least as far as the environment's concerned, the only party with a platform that is actually based on reality. And I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about that because uh, I, I not only can I can't, can I not, I won't go tell people, you know, you must vote for the Green Party. Um, you know, make up your own mind. But it, it's, I think it's a really shocking state of, state of affairs. Um, and we've got about a minute left. Yeah. So why don't you each jump in on a comment about that and we'll go to our final, our final break here. I mean, to some extent, yes. Like I said, everybody's vote shopping. Like, so they are polling opinions and trying to find out what people are likely to vote on. But I think Mulcair has proven that he has at least some, some, uh, values and will stick to his guns a little bit, especially on the hijab issue, for example. Huge points. So... Yes and and no. I think again. I think interest groups are a lot better because they don't have to kowtow to to uh, opinions and things like that. But also interesting to note, which we don't have time for in this segment, but are the different bills that are passing and how they could affect environmentalism. For instance, Bill C fifty Bill C fifty one, Bill C twenty four, the Trans Pacific Partnership. All of these things. That's kind of the way that I'm going to be voting is based on what party is talking about those and what they're planning on doing about them. 
So that's an interesting thing to consider too. And I'll add to your uh, shocking, Darren, I'll say sad as well. Frankly, it's sad. Uh, there's a, a dearth of political leadership in our country. Uh, they've, they've become pollsters. Politicians have become pollsters, and that's how policy is determined. And kudos to those parties, and you mentioned the Green Party when it comes to environmental issues. Uh, they're looking at the science. Their question is, what do we need to do to address the problem? Not, well, what will people vote for? What are people comfortable with? And so on. Um, so, so we need to see, frankly, more, more leadership on this issue. And maybe in the next segment, I can get into um, an interesting campaign that's unfolding uh, in Toronto. Not my own. So for once, I'm going to be plugging something different. <laughs> but um, uh, that I think has some, some potential uh, to change the political landscape uh, more long term. So stay tuned. All right, so let's uh, let's wrap this section up there. We'll be back with a little bit more election coverage here on The Green Majority. All your need-to-know items about the election coming up with regards to the environment. We may touch on some other issues, but uh, not for too long. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on The Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM. into the home stretch here on the green majority thank you so much for listening by the way i just want to take a moment to mention we've been making some vast improvements to our website uh it is looking really really nice mm -hmm. we also have a bunch of new features on there so i'll just let people know what some of that stuff is first of all we're still posting uh videos we've got some election video of our temporarily not co-host kevin farmer who's currently running for the green party in trinity st paul uh, uh, toronto st paul's 
uh, as well. I filmed him and all of the other people who showed up to that uh, All Candidates event. Uh, very interesting and very telling. They're not the party leaders, but I think you will find their perspectives and the relevance to the uh, perspectives of those parties. Very interesting. So even if you're not in that writing anywhere across the country, I think you'll find that interesting. That's on our homepage. Also, this, the live taping of Harperman being a song outside Queen's Park is also still there. Check out Vote for the News. And also, regardless of whether you're listening to us on a radio or on a uh, electronic device of some sort, uh, we will be making some changes and additions to the podcast. So we don't have Stefan today, as you may have noticed. So we will not be doing text with Dave this week. Uh, but there is a new little kind of bonus extra sub show that we're adding to the end of the show, which will be eventually added to the podcast as well. So even if you're a radio listener, you'll want to check that out. So go and check those things out. Uh, if nothing else, go visit the website. Send me a message on Contact Us that says, I hate your new design. Uh, or someone who recently sev- sent me a little love note on our survey monkey. Uh, we're asking for people to submit news stories. And they just said uh, something to the effect of, you're nice. Uh, I won't read the message. It was it was a little personal. Uh, but there's that. There's that. So final section, we've got basically two things. Uh, Rob, I'm going to let you introduce the first because uh, uh, I concurred. It's where you wanted to go and I concur. So why, yeah. why don't we talk a little bit about uh, proportional representation st- uh, and the effect on strategic voting and all that yes. stuff. Yes, and, and that's something that I'm really excited about. Uh, and there is cause for optimism here. Uh, there was a campaign that was started uh, by an activist and several friends uh, that then joined up, Dave Meslin, here in Toronto several years ago. Uh, the idea is ranked ballot reform at the municipal level. So instead of, you, know, you get to rank your candidates. I'm sure your listeners all know this. Uh, I vote for candidate, uh, say if it's a green person that I want, I'll rank them number one. Maybe I'm interested in the NDP type candidate, I'll rank them number two and three and so on. Um, and you can go online to learn more about it. I won't tell you the, the specifics. But the point of it is, uh, that's been and, getting and traction. Should be, sorry, it should be yeah. noted that there's there's dozens of different ways to do it. Right? Oh, God, so it's yeah. It's not a single concept. Yeah. It's and just there's the a lot idea of, places, of not having to pick one person. Yeah, and there's a lot of communities. It basically ensures you get a, a more representative, more proportional outcome, and you're able to actually vote for, for the individual that you want to vote for without the fear of wasting your vote and doing this whole strategic business stuff. Um, so what's encouraging is uh, there have been a lot of uh, attempts at electoral reform uh, at provincial levels, and they've failed. What's exciting, though, is uh, at the municipal level, so now here in Ontario, uh, they're going to be amending the Municipal Elections Act, the provincial government, to enable municipalities, should they choose uh, to go with this voting system, they, they will then have that option. Uh, and in spite of the fact there was a disappointing vote recently, a motion brought forward uh, by a councillor without notice, so talk about you know undemocratic, um, where then they sort of reverse their position on ranked ballots. Uh, kudos to the provincial government. They're still standing firm and they will be introducing that legislation. But the beautiful thing about that is, and whether you, know, you can get into the minutia of which you know, form of proportional representation is better, um, but I think getting lost in that conversation, it's, it's not a productive conversation. The beautiful thing about this is there's now a change in Canada uh, in our electoral system. We're going to realize after the next election where a few few communities will use this option, oh, look, it worked out fine. People are capable of counting to two or three. You know, the sky didn't fall. We're still, democracy is still here. So I think you'll see the spread. And again, much like, okay, now I am plugging my stuff, much like my approach is to engage the municipal level and then and then have that approach, you know, go to, to other orders of government at senior levels of government. I think this will create space for that change. Because frankly, this first past the post system, this is a big part of the problem. 
Yeah, well, I'm going to stick to my guns about cautiously pessimistic, as I said <laughs> earlier, because electoral reform is something we talk about every election, and it's mostly talked about by the uh, opposition. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's only talked about by the opposition, always, and then it sort of fizzles out after the election, but cautiously pessimistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I want to thank you so much, Sylvia, and if you're just tuning in, I'll just remind uh, people who they're listening to, we've got Rob Shirky from Our Horizon here, and uh, so, uh, Sylvia Letourneau as well, who's uh, uh, good friend of Stefan's. Good friend of Stefan's. <laughs> That's how I got here. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, generally knowledgeable person as well. Thank you so much both for coming Thanks in and taking me. some time to talk to us today. Um, but the segue you just sort of gave me was into the sort of final uh, bit there as it, the, the idea. Thank you for the segue. I don't even think you knew you were doing it, but no. it was perfect, um, which was the idea of uh, some liberal uh, connections here. We're talking uh, about uh, Dan Gagne, uh, who was uh, working as a consultant, a lobbying consultant for TransCanada uh, for months. And th- I think that's really the thing, because. You know, liberals are one of the parties that has been talking, as you say, as the opposition has been saying, oh, you know, we want to pass some sort of proportional representation. The question people, voters should really be asking themselves is, do you trust them for a second Mm -hmm. to do it? Because arguably, I would actually argue the biggest loser, and that might be controversial, but I would actually argue the liberals have more to lose from proportional representation than the conservatives do, Mm -hmm. significantly more. I actually think that the conservatives might pick up a little bit. They'd lose some supporters, but they'd probably gain some supporters because I think that what we're seeing right now is that at least from what they're telling politicians, Canadians do tend to be conservative. Uh, mm-hmm. Not conser- not conservative of the party, but conservative-minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that is an honest assessment of the Canadian voter. And... Um, and I, and I really do think that, you know, while people have a lot of distaste personally for Harper, that there's a reason why they were, in, you know, among all the voter fraud and all that other stuff, you know, uh, is a reason they've been in power for a while. And so I think really what we really have to be wondering right now is do we trust either the conservatives or the liberals? The conservatives don't even want it, but I would think they should want it more than liberals would um, because of some great articles I've been reading. I mean, it was in either in The Onion or The, or, uh, the Beaverton or something like that. <laughs> but as usual, this was bitingly true and funny at the same time, which was a whole fake article uh by a guy who was saying you know he's a lifetime ndp supporter that's why he always votes liberal or something like that (laughs) and and what's really here is that you know there's a lot of sort of fear i think of voting for anything other than uh the liberal party uh, because they're like well you know the other guys haven't been in power before we don't really trust them Mm -hmm. we don't know if they can govern so i'm going to go with the safe bet and what the safe bet is here though is just to remind people is that the liberal party as our guest last week was very very uh, apt to point out mark burry um, is that it isn't the conservatives and three left-wing parties it's the conservatives and the liberals and two left-wing parties and they're two different shades of very very similar uh, style governments and you know the connections to the oil industry i think should really surprise nobody and so i want to make one quick little metaphor and then i'm basically going to try and stop talking for the rest of the 10 minutes so you guys just jump in you t- and feel free to tell me i'm full of it on this one but <laughs> Uh, I see, and I think it's been made especially clear during this campaign that essentially the liberals and conservatives in this party is a form of good cop, bad cop, which is they largely agree on a huge amount of policy. Uh, but one of them is, you know, currently repped by, you know, essentially Monty Burns. Hmm. Uh, and the other one is, uh, you know, somebody with nice hair who looks pretty and speaks well. But there's really not a lot of difference. And they answer to the same corporate sponsors, the same big money, the same establishment people who are going to get you 5% change. And, you know, when we're talking about the environment, you should, my comments should be assumed to be specifically about the environment, although I think it would be fair to say they expand beyond that. Um you know, and in the federal level, the, the politicians are very different than at a provincial level and, and all this. And we, we know this very much in, in Canada. But, 
you know, these it's it's it just what really frustrates me. And, th- and this isn't even an argument for either of the current leader. It, I might have an argument, but this isn't one for either of the other, uh, you know, two leaders. Um, but I really don't understand why Canadians seem to feel like the only alternative is to go with the other establishment candidate as if you're not getting 2% change when you go with the other person who's connected to all the same influences. They just might have a slightly more progressive view of social issues or something like that. I will leave my comments there. Tell me if I'm wrong, guys. Well, it's funny to see how polling and and the publishing of those polls constantly, day after day after day, uh, can impact the decision you make. Because uh, let's say if if, uh, my environmental concerns are best represented by the Green Party, and it turns out it's it's neck and neck conservative and liberal in my writing, you know, then and, and I'm getting that information care of the poll. So I do know that if I vote green, it's it's frankly under the current system a waste of my vote, right? So I say, well, you know, if if I have a choice between one of the two front runners, which is the least, you know, worst option. Mm-hmm. And so we do perpetuate the status quo. So it's funny going back to to the to the role that polls play. Um I would even be interested in how about let's not publish that. How about mm-hmm. you know that be an interesting piece of legislation that's introduced? Yeah. So uh, in addition to maybe a, a wider bundle on electoral reform. Yeah, I think what what possible use to the voter is what other people's voting intentions are. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that that's not useful in a in a functional system. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's not important information. It shouldn't be relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Sylvie, go ahead. In terms of strategic voting, I think Canada political change in Canada is going to be gradual. I think we are moving towards it. Uh, just the fact that the NDP is a contender at all is a huge indicator of that. But I think that this election, people do feel that it's very, very important. And I think that's why you have the impetus to vote strategically or to vote at all, like we're seeing advanced polls filling up. But I think that obviously, no matter who wins this election, if it's the Conservatives, the Liberals, the Greens, the NDP, we need to hold them accountable, not only for their promises, but for what we want because the minute that they get into we all know that election promises are, you know, smoke and mirrors. So we need to remember, like I said, this is not the only democratic process. Canadians are so afraid of uh, any other sort of shows of opinion or, demo- or any other de- democratic processes. I think we're way too, I don't know, British. I <laughs> think maybe we need to be more French about it. Remember that we are the ones who decide what goes on in our country. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot that happens in between elections and a lot of ways to get involved. I um, So my background, of course, I'm a municipal lawyer, uh, and I love city government. Uh, and when I go to schools to talk to youth about my project, um, so I'm, I'm talking to them about the project, but also like, hey, guys, now advocate for this, right? <laughs> um, but they love it because they say, hey, even if you're not old enough to vote, did you know how accessible uh, the municipal level of government is? Did you know that you could contact your councillors, get a hold of them so much more easily than you can uh, an, an MP or, or, or an MPP? Um, and it's amazing. Like, I've actually witnessed through this project 14 year olds, 16 year olds affect actual policy and mm-hmm. legislation uh, in their own community. Uh, and so that's exciting. So, yes, we do have uh, an election coming up and it's important to get out there and vote. Uh, but stay politically involved after that. Um, yeah, that's definitely a, a, a super, super important thing. I will say one thing too, though, uh, on the, what is it? The the cynical, no, the, the cautious pessimism. Here we are. Um, I had a good experience. I think there are some progressive leaders uh, out there. And I won't say who I voted for, unless if you guys somehow managed to get it out of me, but I did vote. <laughs> after the election, we'll do it. <laughs> okay, I did vote in an advanced poll. 
And uh, what was going through my mind was, uh, in my writing, um, the conservative doesn't stand a chance. And so I'm thinking, okay, um, you know, I can vote for, for liberal or NDP if I feel strongly about either one of them. But probably what I'll do is I'll vote green because at least at some level that's registering with someone somewhere uh, that forms policy. Well, and, and they and they and, and they do get I mean, like they do get extra yeah, resources. Get, exactly. They so get the, some coin yeah, based so on if, that. And if there if there really is no chance of uh, like if there's going to be a clear winner in your writing, regardless of yeah. sort of who it's for. um Please vote green. And that's not because yeah. I'm trying to get you to vote green because I'm partisan. It's because them them having a voice are the only people who are actually talking about reality. Mm-hmm. And you're simply allowing them to exist to to communicate effective in, uh, information. I want to just uh, interject one thing. So mm-hmm. when I was at mm-hmm. Kevin's uh, – uh, uh, event the video that I was talking about is on uh, on our front page right now on the website. Mm-hmm. One of the things he said during his closing statements was, uh, "If you don't want to vote green, fine. Go to your party and tell them to steal our policies, uh-huh. mm-hmm. please." Yes, half of the and I would be I'm making this number up, but it's based on my personal experience. I would bet a good half of people who are running currently for the Green Party have no intention or even necessarily any desire of being yeah. in office. They're doing it because it's the best way that they can try and get to go out and knock on people's doors mm-hmm. and have a conversation about actual reality. And if I'm in the Liberal Party, if I'm in the NDP Party, uh, a strategist, a policy person, and I see, oh, look at how many votes uh, the Green Party got. Well, you know what? We need to take some mm-hmm. of their platform. So that's what typically informs my vote. Having said that, though, and that was going to be the, the way that I voted. So now we've we've process of elimination. We reduced one. Uh, a, a volunteer from the, from another candidate's uh, office contacted me, uh, said, "What concerns you?" So asked me instead of you know shoving. Here's what we're doing. You know, down my throat. Asked what concerns me, and I said, "Well, I'm I'm actually really concerned about climate change." Uh, and he said, "Okay, well, we'll get the candidate uh, to call you." You know, she calls me a, a couple days later. My phone. We had a ten minute conversation, and I said at the outset, "I'm like." I don't care what your party thinks. I could Google that. I could find your policy document uh, off the record, which now here I am on the record. <laughs> um, yes, but you could be lying. Right? I could be lying, of course. Um, I want to know what you think. What do you know about this issue? What would you like to see done on it? You know, what concerns you and so on. And we had a human to human conversation. And at the end of it, I said, wow, this person really cares about this issue. She really gets it. Um, she just won my vote. And I let her know that. And she said, uh, I said, for you know, if you do get elected, uh, can you commit to sitting down with me within your first six months? I'd love to tell you about my project. Uh, uh, and she said, sure, I, I will definitely have a cup of coffee with you. And it was uh, sincere. I could tell that. So there there are some good people in politics um, and there's there's hope there. So maybe that's something positive I'll end on. So that's a good place. Uh, Sylvia, we're down to the last uh, basically two minutes here. So I'll give you an opportunity to make sort of a a final statement here, your your message to voters. Oh, God. Um, Well, I feel like I've just made it. Remember that you are the one with the power, you know what I mean? And I really like what you just said, Rob, about uh, getting involved and actually picking up the phone when they call you and saying, well, this is what I care about. You know, Mm -hmm. that's um, they are like you said, they're they're polling opinion. And that's not the worst thing ever. Opinion is important. That's why we vote people. Right. So. Get out there and always remember all of the other paths to democracy. Don't forget them. You know, they're so important. Yeah, and I think that will be maybe my closing thought as well, too, which will simply be to echo uh, something, Rob, you said earlier, which was the idea that uh, – or sorry, actually, I think Sylvie said it, or at the very least you both did, um, <laughs> which was to the idea that, yeah, I mean, this – Two percent of being having an influence on democracy is happens during an election. People uh, before elections, people sent uh, parties sense what is 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 saying. As we said earlier, it's all based on opinion polls, and they're all 
you know, I've made statements earlier on earlier programs where I said that, you know, effectively most politicians could be replaced by software because all they do is <laughs> essentially, it's a very, it's actually a script that Kevin Farmer himself with his IT, his computer science degree could write the software, which simply converts public opinion polls into policy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really, you know, sad. But the idea that we have to go out, I mean, these parties are baking their platforms. It's the truth is based on what they think you think and what mm-hmm. they think you care about. Mm-hmm. And so you have to go and tell them. The other thing, and so that's pre-election, but post-election is when our work is really cut out for us because no matter who gets elected, even the Green Party, we're going to need to stay all over them Mm -hmm. to make sure that stuff happens and COP21 is right after the election. So this is the most critical election that's out there. So I'm going to do that. We did this uh, last week. I'm sorry, we don't have time, Rob, but I'm going to ask you for one more thing, which is on the count of three, we're all going to go, go vote. Ready? One, two, three. Go Go vote. vote. That's it for the Green Majority, folks. Have a good Green Week. See you all real soon.